It's Laban Ditchburn, and I really hope you're enjoying the podcast. The reason for this message was this. If you have your own podcast or your own YouTube channel, or you're seriously thinking about starting something up in order to get your message out into the world, I want to make something available to you. Go to podcastingheroes.com for your free five-day video training. Well, I will share with you five key tips and tricks that will allow you to reach out and connect with the best podcast guests available. And not only just bring them on, but to develop relationships with them that build into know, like, and trust that will eventuate in you being invited onto their platforms if you so desire. You'll be able to learn how to monetize even if you don't have a big audience. Go to podcastingheroes.com. It's P-O-D-C-A-S-T-I-N-G-H-E-R-O-E-S.com. Ladies and gentlemen, Nahi Otera Bidwa. Welcome to the show, Nahihi. Welcome to Become Your Own Superhero. Yeah, Levin. Thanks for inviting me. It's a real privilege to be with you. How do we go with the uh, pronunciation of your name? Yeah, pretty good. So Nahihi Otera, which means the rays of the sun, and that's Māori and Bidwa is French, and I'm told that means handsome, highly intelligent, and uh, humble. <laughs> <laughs> I always forget that last one. I <laughs> uh, love that. I love that. So, Nahi, uh, can you tell us a little bit about who you are for our audience that won't know you? Okay, so in New Zealand Māori, I've chosen my background. I'm from Rotorua, which is the central North Island of New Zealand, and this is where I grew up. Went to Massey University, which is in another city, ended up being away from home for 20 years before coming back. And I've been a professional speaker for the last 12 years or so. Uh, Prior to that, I've been in business in the corporate sector with my business degree, then changed to education. So I became a secondary school teacher, then went into tertiary and education before starting my own businesses. And one of those was to become a professional speaker. I've got two kids. So my son, Eduera, is a doctor, and my daughter, Tumanako, is in med school. Married for 35 years to a beautiful woman. Her name's Carolyn. Yeah, love my life. Wow. You hardly look old enough to be having children that are doctors in, in medical school. You look great. Well done. Well done. Well done. And uh, your because you these these uh, the teaching the masters the um, what do you got your business the masters and the uh, what's the other one you got? Um, oh, yeah, certificate and so that they your official qualifications. But there's one yeah. more that's a bit more important. <laughs> Can you tell us about that? Yeah, one? it's a part of my part of my intro actually. So the intro will go. His qualifications are business studies degree, a master's in education with honours, certificate in company directorship, but his favourite qualification is his self-proclaimed MBA, which stands for Māori Boy from Oahu. (laughs) (laughs) And so, yeah, I'm just a Māori boy, you know, and um, really pleased and humbled, actually, to make the most of the opportunities that came my way and to be in a position now where I'm helping people as often as I can and as many people as I can, yeah. Well, you're affectionately known as the face of New Zealand, and I'm curious to know, A, how that came about, and B, what does that mean to you, Nay? Okay, so my brand is Ancient Wisdom Modern Solutions, and that came uh, from a speaker in Australia who said, look, you need something for your presentations. And so I I speak about the Māori culture, obviously ancient wisdom, as modern solutions for people today in their leadership. I speak mainly about leadership. And I was in America. Actually, I'd been invited to speak in Google in New York. And we stayed with a, a couple, and she just happened to be a brand specialist. And she sent me down one night and said, hey, Nahi, I think we need to work on your brand. You know, I know you've got ancient wisdom, modern solutions, but you need a stronger brand for what you're doing as a speaker. And we worked through different things, and then it was her, actually, that came up with the face of New Zealand. And I said to her, can I do that? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like 
in New Zealand, tourism New Zealand, the face of New Zealand's right up. And she said, you know, you can do anything. And it's it's just a matter of your brand is about who you are. And when I thought about it, because I'd been doing like we did three world trips as a whanau in five years, and all of that was through speaking and speaking to different organisations around the world. And she said, Nahi, you are the face of New Zealand to the world. And so it just tied in nicely with ancient wisdom, modern solutions, my indigenous Māori background from New Zealand. And yeah, it, it's uh, it's very humble, actually humbling to have a brand like that. And I've had to step into that and just pick up the confidence of of carrying that. You know, there's responsibilities that go with it. And uh, just, yeah, one day at a time, really, eh, Faber? Well, Matt, I couldn't have said it better myself. And it's, uh, you know, and we'll go into this in a second, but the the elephant in the room, like whenever you come into a room is this amazing facial tattoo that you've got that would probably intimidate um, people that don't know what it means and what it is. Um, but it also would intrigue and, and, you know, like all kinds of emotions I can imagine. So when did you get it? And can you tell us a bit more about it? Yeah, so my, my tāmoko, which is my facial tattoo, is a part of my journey as a leader. And when I was 30, I set all of these goals, you know, to to be successful as a, as a business person, to be a leader, to have a beautiful wife and my own house, car, etc., all of those goals. And when I was 26, I, I achieved those goals. And so later on, I, I realised that I, I met a crossroads, actually, and realised, you know what, I don't know who I am and what is the point of all the stuff, you know. And it was then that I had to realign my goals. And one of the goals I, I realigned to was to one day receive this, this gift from my ancestors, from my Māori people. And in order for me to receive this gift, I realised that I'd be a leader amongst my people. I'd be serving my people. I'd be, and I, you know, there were just different boxes. I'd be fluent in my Māori language because I didn't know it at all. I'd know my protocols. And so for me, it became another goal to achieve because of the, the key points that were lined up with that goal, really. And so for me to, to receive this, this tāmoko was just such a privilege. And, and for me, it's, it's the ultimate of, of being the face of New Zealand. It's, it's the responsibility of, of carrying this gift from my ancestors. And as I said earlier, we did three world trips in five years and each one of those trips occurred immediately after receiving my tāmoko. So the gift then went out to the world as well and was presented to the world. And there was no negative. I've never had any negative connotations or any negative feedback from anyone around the world at all. And so for me, it was just meant to be. But uh, it's got a, a very deep meaning for me personally and as a key part of what I present to people as well in my presentations. Wow. And I love that. I love that it's been so well received, Nahi, because it's uh, it's really cool, man. And and I'm curious to know, what are, what are some amazing things that have happened in your life as a direct result of having this? So one of the, one of the things that happens when you receive this gift is, and I was told by the person who, who placed it on my face, who, who, it's a tattoo, and uh, it took eight hours, so it took uh, eight o'clock at night till midnight to do this half of my face, and then half past midnight to four o'clock to complete the rest, so one evening and eight hours, and one of the things uh, the person who did it told me was, when you receive this gift from our ancestors, all of the gifts that you have been given will be enhanced. And I guess, Laban, that's, that's the bottom line, you know. I, in receiving this gift, I took on the spiritual side, the physical side, the, the mental side, the, the relationship side of, of what came with this gift. 
and it has a very deep meaning in our Māori culture. And so for me, it meant that my gifts of speaking were enhanced, my gifts of, of leadership, my gifts of serving. I, I sort of put those two together because I see a, a very strong part of, of leadership as, as serving people, you know. And the gifts of being someone who looks after my family and, and wants to be an awesome husband and an even better father, all of those things were, were enhanced a hundred times when I received this gift. And, and if you're not ready for it, man, it can blow you out of the water, you know, but it, it took five years, many years actually, for me to, from when I first thought of this as a goal to receiving it. And so during that time, I was prepared for it, you know. Um, I guess one of the key things is who has permission in our lives to say no? So who do you go to and get permission from for things? And if they say no, then you won't do it. And for me, there were five people when it came to this, because this is huge, right? So the first one was my wife. And my wife said, no, he... It's, it's a matter of when, not if. I totally support you receiving because she understood the depth of this gift and everything that goes with it. What a woman. My two children who were, uh, who were quite young, but they understood as well because they were going to schools that only speak Māori and they knew everything about the Māori culture, etc. cetera, and, and they said, yeah, Papa, that'll be really cool. My father and every son, right? my mother had passed at this time, but... Every son wants to hear these words from their father. He said, boy, I'll support you in any decision you make. And, and to me, that, that was just an indicator of, of how far our relationship had come. And, you know, we'd, we'd had our rocky times. But for him to say that, knowing the significance of this gift and him being the oldest of our family was, was huge. And the last person was my nanny, Rini. And she said, no way. <laughs> She goes, no way, you're not ready. I said, why not, Nanny? I remember looking at her and saying, well, why not? You know, because everyone else had said yes. Oh, no. She goes, you're already good looking enough. <laughs> and I thought, man, how can I argue with that? You know? <laughs> but, I, but I knew I couldn't do it until, and she was the last person that I needed permission from. And I knew I wasn't going to do it. In fact, I went back to my cousin and I said, bro, we can't do this. You know, he said, why not? He said, I said, Nanny Rini has said, no, he goes, oh, well, we're not doing it. <laughs> and this, my grandmother, my, who I'll speak about later, has had a significant input in my life. And he knew the mana, what we call mana, the authority influence that my grandmother carried. And he was never going to do it until she said yes as well. And I remember years later, which is why it took five years as well, sitting with my grandmother in her little batch at the beach and the sun was streaming in, you know, quite significant with a name like Nahihi Otera, which she had given me before I was even born. And she sat there and she looked at me and she said, Nahihi Otera, I think you're ready now. And she knew that I wasn't ready or hadn't realised what was to come. And so it was after she said yes, that I then went forward with the process. And so that's a, that's a part of what I talk about as well. Who has the right in our lives to say no? And what does that mean, you know? So for us as leaders, I think it's important to not only have influence, but to realise the people who have influence in our lives too. Yeah. Because to move into speaking is... You know, we're, we're a very public uh, bunch, but there's not actually that many of us, as it turns out. How did you get into to speaking? What made you want to do that? Yeah, I guess if I, can, if I can pick it up once again on the Māori cultural front. So my father is the eldest son of the eldest son, and only he has the right to speak on behalf of our family. When I say family, I don't just mean my father, my grandfather, but all of my cousins. Like, <laughs> there's, there's hundreds of us, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so only he has the right to speak because he's the eldest son of the eldest son. In formal occasions at our Māori village, when we're welcoming people, farewelling people, all of that. 
because I'm his eldest son, then that role will one day come to me. And I, I realized that when I was about 11, I was sitting in this, this 21st birthday and I said to one of my older cousins, you know, they were a lot older. I said, uh, look, I think someone should say something to our cousin who's just turned 21. And they all looked at me and they said, you're, you know, you speak. And, and for me to stand up there in front of all of my cousins and everyone in that room and just say congratulations to my cousin who had turned 21, I think something happened that day, you know, which made me realize the, the importance of speaking, but also the responsibility, the influence, the ability to make someone's day or not, and all of that stuff. But for me, I, I realized that it was more than just me, that it was something that had come down through the generations. And to be honest, my father is still alive, and I, I just hope that he stays alive for many, many years. I'm not in a hurry to to speak in that formal occasions in that setting. However, doors have opened, which my father have, has blessed for me to, to speak in, in other places and, and to and that led, obviously, to becoming a, a professional speaker. So all my life from then, whenever, wherever I was, people would ask me to speak. Wherever I was leading, people would ask me, even if I wasn't leading, people would say, Nahi, do you mind saying a few words? So I guess people saw something that I didn't, you know. Um, and even becoming a professional speaker, we'd started a business as a consultant on leadership. And this lady came and, and she said, Nahi, do you mind if I, I come and speak to you and your wife? And her name was Deborah Bell. And she came to our home and she said, Nahi, I see you on platforms in the world, around the world, speaking all over the world. And and influencing and helping people all over the world. I, I see you in different indigenous peoples with different nations, and I'm sitting here thinking, whoa, what is this, you know? And then she said a few things, and I just started crying, and I realized, man, this this is not big. This is bigger than me. This is not a job. It's a calling. And she said, I'd like to take you to an organization. I live in Rotorua, which is the central of North Island. There's a background i've chosen this background laban the hot, the hot springs <laughs> thermal activity yeah Woo, and, smells like sulfur <laughs> <laughs> yeah two and a half hours away from auckland where the new zealand speakers association meets and she she said i'd like to take you to auckland to the new zealand speakers association and introduce you to people and i believe they will teach you to become a professional speaker and you're going to speak around the world and so that was the first step, you know, and, and if there are people out there who are looking at becoming professional speakers, when people ask me, what can I do to become a professional speaker? The first thing I say is join your professional speaker organization. And we have them all around the world. They're just awesome organizations. And through that organization, I, I met, you know, amazing people like Scott Friedman from America and, just many others, John Shackleton, Mike Hancock, Tom Mulholland, uh, just incredible people who have helped me on my journey and hopefully I've been able to help others on their journeys along the way too, you know. Well, I, I again, I love that, Nahi, because we had a guest on the show, Wintley Phipps, uh, about a month ago, who is a, a Seventh-day Adventist gospel singer he's a baritone beautiful singing voice he's known for singing amazing grace and he was approached by a young african-american woman 30 years ago backstage and uh, they ended up she said do you mind if i speak to you and and incidentally they ended up going back to his place with him and his wife and having dinner and that woman was oprah and he he had a vision from god and he said to Oprah, Oprah, this is before when she was a journalist. She said, he said, I, I believe that you are going to speak and influence millions. And she went, really? You think I can do that? And then so she went off and she actually attributes that meeting to kickstarting her speaking career. And, you know, it's not oh. outside the realms of possibility. That, that's you, Nahi, and the impact oh. that you'll have in empowering other people to do this. Isn't that such a great story? 
I, I just love that. I love that. And now he's a spiritual guide to Oprah. Um, the only other podcast he's been on recently is the Oprah Winfrey Show. <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well done, even. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, and then then uh, he sang Amazing Grace at the end of the show for us, uh, a cappella. Oh. It was a, a spine-chilling, humbling, humbling experience, one that I wouldn't have experienced without being involved in this this professional speakers uh, community. So, yeah, yeah, it's a good one to be involved with. My, my yeah, next question. I, sorry, you go. Yeah. So I was just going to say, I guess, I guess that would sum up my whole speaking career, really. If we're talking speaking, in fact, you know, my life is amazing grace. How sweet the sound! It saved a wretch like me. You know, I I too was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. And, and for me, um, being a person of faith is, is a very strong part of who I am and, and being led, and and it's it's a part of a journey, you know. And so for me, it's it's uh, an important part of, of who I am and and my identity and and who I want to be remembered as. So yeah, it's. It's just very significant that for me there's there's always someone bigger and and uh, higher than than me who who I lean on and and has just walked my journey with me through the through the really tough times and there have been really tough times and and through the good times and and through helping every individual along the way you know so yeah no thanks thanks for that Laban I've written down. Uh, written his name, so I'll, I'll look that up later. Uh, I'll, I'll happily send you the link afterwards. It's a, an, he's an extraordinary individual, and um, uh, yeah, and I'm and I'm glad that it had such an impact on you because I I'm really curious to know Nahi, what's the single greatest piece of advice that you've ever been given, and who was it from? So I guess to to give some context to why it was important from this person, it's. It goes back to my nanny, my nanny Rini again, the same one who said no with me receiving my tamuko and too damn good looking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I'd um, I'd I'd been through a tough tough patch in my far, with my relationship with my dad, you know, and I was the eldest son of of four children, and it got to the stage where I realised I just just had to leave home, and I went to my grandmother, and I said said to my grandmother, you know do you mind if I come and live with you, Nanny Rini? And she said, you can come and live with me on one condition, and, and that is you finish your high school. Because she'd never had anyone finish high school, you know. And so for me, that meant I had to go back and, and repeat year 12 because I hadn't passed the, the exams in that year, the year before, and then go on and, and finish high school, which is, I guess, where my emphasis in education came from. But I live with my my nanny Rini for two years and I don't know if any of our our listeners or even you have been to prison but I have you know and the prison I went to was was one of my mind it was it was created by by people in my life who who had said things like you know I I remember being young and (coughs) and looking up at a at a helicopter and saying to my mates, because they were throwing lollies from this helicopter to us as kids, and I remember saying to my mates, I'm going to fly one of those one day. And they go, you know, fly in a helicopter. You'll never fly in a helicopter. Truth, bah, you know, you'll never fly in a helicopter. You go to university, you'll never go to university. Truth. And all of these bars that just came down around my mind. And I went to my grandmother's in that prison. I went to my nanny Rini's, nanny Rini's thinking, man, I, I'm just lost. You know, I don't know what I'm going to do with my life. And and one by one, she broke down each of those bars. And she did it through old Māori proverbs, which is where my, I guess, my purposeful speaking comes from, of ancient wisdom, modern solutions. And one of the proverbs that she she drilled into me was this one, which says, Nāte whakaro ka ora te tangata, 
which translates as through a person's thoughts, the person is created, or the thought creates the person. And and she said, Nahi, you know, it doesn't matter what other people think about you. It doesn't matter what bars they have put around your mind. What matters the most is what you think about you. And so for me, that's that's it. It's it's my nanny, my beautiful nanny Rini, who broke down each of these bars over the two years that I was with her and taught me just amazing wisdom, which I've just been privileged and pleased to pass on to others. And hopefully it's helped them and breaking down their bars and help them on their journey. So Nati Fokaro ka ora te tangata, the thought creates the person. Thanks, Nanny. There's some, yeah. some sage advice there. <laughs> and it yeah. seems to be a recurring theme, Nay, like a lot of people that I've been interviewing and just speaking to in general that have that have succeeded in life and are, that are succeeding in life have a single point of an individual that played such a pivotal role and it's, you know, quite often a family member and sometimes it's, a you know, just someone that became a friend or whatever. And I think the importance of trying to find that person uh, in your life, I don't know how to do it necessarily, but I, you know, the great Bruce Lee says when the, the student is ready, the master will appear. Is it? Is it I know you're a Bruce Lee fan. You got any other <laughs> favorite Bruce Lee quotes? Yeah, well, it's similar to what my nanny Rini said, you know, uh, Bruce Lee, who, who was, you know, be like water and just, just go with the flow of, of wherever life takes you, but but be flexible and be like water. You know, he, he, he also said, as we think, so shall we become. And so it's, it's very similar. You know, I heard it from Bruce Lee. Others have heard it from other people. But I think the 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 thinking process is very important to who we become. And if people are going through through tough times, then that's what I, I try to encourage them to do is, is to just pay some attention to what we're thinking about ourselves and, and what we're saying about ourselves too, you know. So for anyone that is going through a really tough time, which could easily be everyone, oh. But an especially tough time where they are at the end of their tether. Have you got any advice for them? You know, we, if I can give a bit of a context to to what I'm about to say. In New Zealand, we've just been, the world is just going through COVID-19, right? And in New Zealand, we went through a, a period where the Crown, you know, the decision makers of our country basically said, everyone is going into lockdown and you will not be able to go to parks. It'll all be closed. And there was just a, there was a lockdown process into your house. And one person went out and did the shopping and they were, they had masks on and everything. And and so I was asked because there, there were a lot of people who really struggled during that time. And I was asked to put something together to, to help people through that and so there were three things that I, that I came up with first and the first one was get out of bed you know if if you can just get out of bed every day if you can actually make a move and if you think life is tough then get out of bed and take two steps and and realize that you got to take you were able to take two steps that day because every day people don't even get out of bed you know, and so that was the first thing. Number one, get out of bed. Number two, make your bed. Because when you make your bed, and my, my nanny Rini again, you know, she taught me this when I lived with her. She said, okay, the first thing you have to do is make your bed. And so every day I had to make my bed. And I realized many years later what she was teaching me was a discipline, you know, of if I get out of bed and I make my bed, then I've accomplished one thing that day. And even if I don't get to do anything else that day, at least I've got a nice warm bed to come back to. (laughs) But but there's just so much behind just looking after our bed because then, you know, you make your bed, you sleep in it. There's, There's all kinds of proverbs and thinking around that as well. And so that was number two. Number two is if you're going through a hard time, make your bed. 
And my wife, I remember this, my wife said to me once, she said, no, he, but, you know, you, you don't make my, my side of the bed. <laughs> and I thought, well, I thought, well, how do I get out of this? You know? And I said, well, you know, well, honey, you know what? For me to make your side of the bed, you actually have to be out of it. <laughs> so, so, so don't make your partner's side of the bed unless you're out of it, okay? <laughs> don't be that guy. Don't be that person. And, and number three, and this is, I guess, where the area of faith comes in, is in our Māori culture, karakia, prayers, you know, that whole spiritual side is very important. And and for me, it was, say, and the number three is say a prayer. Say, and whatever that means to you to associate yourself with something bigger than yourself, something, someone, and to help you realize that there is a, a spiritual arena that is there to help each one of us. And to somehow, whether it's saying a few words, whether it's just being silent, whether whatever you need to do to tap into that, to to rest in that. And so those are, those are the three things. One, get out of bed. Two, make your bed. And three, tap into a source that's bigger than you, which will help you to realize that there are a lot of things happening that are out of your control. And in the end, you just have to say, okay, I'll be like water and just go with the flow. Yeah, so hopefully that, that will help people, you know. Oh, it's brilliant, Nahi. And I, I suppose my next question is something that I've thought about a lot because I used to really identify as an atheist and I'm not. I'm, 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 I don't identify with any particular religion, but I have become very spiritual. And I, there seems to be a reoccurring theme again with all these very successful, not on all cases, but in a lot of cases, high achieving people that are just thriving and that are fundamentally happy for the most part. They're all aligned to a, a spirituality, whether it be a particular religious, um, you know, group or whatever. What do you say to someone that is practicing an atheistic lifestyle in this kind of scenario, in this context? Yeah, I I think as speakers, it's important to realise that people don't want to know our faith. We're not we're not like as a professional speaker, you won't hear me talking about Jesus. You won't hear, hear me talking about my faith. You won't hear me. You know, it's it gets back to serving again, doesn't it? It gets back to who is my audience and how am I here to serve them? And and for me, it's it's never about me, in a sense, preaching. Although you know, with my tribe and others, I I do take services, etc. But I think it's more about who I am and what I do. And as an atheist, if that's who you are and what you do, then as long as you are doing the best to serve the people who are asking, who are paying you, basically, who are who are employing you, who are paying you to be a professional in that arena, then, as we say in our Māori culture, kea koe te tikanga, that's up to you. How you... How you do that all is is up to you as well, and so for me, it, it's I would never go out and and say you have to do, you know, the seven steps to any faith. What I do try to to say along the way is, whatever faith means to you, I want to try and encourage you into that, into that that spiritual side. Because in our Māori culture, if I talk about ancient wisdom, modern solutions. We talk about four sides to our being. One is our physical side, you know, how we how we look after ourselves, what we eat, our exercise, etc., etc. The second one is our family relationships. So we call that taha fano. The first one is taha tinana, body, taha fano, which is our our fano, our family and our relationships. Next one is taha hiningaro which is looking after our mind and, and having a clear mind. And the floor, fourth dimension, which often gets missed out, I might add, is the tahawaitua, which is a, the spiritual dimension. So for me, I, I try to, in my presentations, present that in a way through the stories I tell, etc., where 
where people and have many have come up to me afterwards and said, and you know, there's just something bigger than you when you're speaking. And so that's I try to just be rather than do you, do you know what I mean? I, yeah. I think it's when it comes to faith, it's more important that you be that faith rather than someone who just talks about that faith. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think um it's just helped me a lot in terms of being able to let things go at times. And yeah, it's a, it's a really interesting one, particularly because I was raised in a really strict born again Christian family and ended up, you know, backsliding because I sort of had it rammed down my throat and um, which is not the way, you know, you can't make anyone do anything. You've got to lead by example, right? So yeah. it's just a, just an interesting dichotomy for people that are, you know, atheistic in their approach and that's their, that's their right, you know. Um, you're an author. I've just finished my very first book. It's the first draft has gone off to my mentor. And I'm curious to know what was harder. Thank you. Thank you very much. Very important question. What was harder, writing your your first book or growing up as a Māori boy in New Zealand? (laughs) I I think they were, rather than harder, they were both awesome. You know, it's it's a matter of which one was was better actually. And and so for me, growing up as a mighty boy in, in New Zealand, just an incredible, incredible childhood. I had a mountain just down the road that I went up every Sunday and played with my brother and, and friends. You know, we were in the middle of a bush with I might have had no snakes, no spiders, nothing poisonous, <laughs> you know, doing all of these crazy things. And in the area where I live here in Rotorua, we have 14 lakes around us. So we grew up swimming in rivers and lakes. We biked everywhere. We just had amazing teachers, incredible education, amazing parents, uncles, aunties. We were at our, our Māori village all the time with our cousins. You know, it was just an amazing childhood. So, yeah, that was that was just great. Uh, writing the book, Mike Hancock, who many people will know, was one of my mentors, still is really, and we, he'd said to me, look, now he, I want to introduce you to people in America. And sorry, if, you, if I can tell you this story, it's, it's quite an inspirational story. Really. Yeah, please, please. Yeah. Very, very key. So, uh, Laban, I talk about having mentors. You know, we talked about having people in our lives. And Mike Hancock and John Shackleton and a few others quickly became mine, Lou Heckler. And, and so Mike said, look, I want to take you to America and introduce you to people I know in America so you can start speaking there. I said, yep, cool. Uh, what's in it for you? He goes, well, I want 10% of everything you earn in the first year. And so I went back to my wife and we talked about it. And I came back to Mike and I said, you know, Mike, if I don't give you the, the 10%, will you still take me to America? And he said, yes. He didn't hesitate. He said, yes, I'll still take you to America. And Mike took me to America. We stayed in a a beautiful hotel in Los Angeles. He introduced me to all these amazing people, had my first speaking engagement while we were there, and just a lot of really cool stuff happened. One of the things that happened there was was Mike said, Nahi, you need to write a book. I said, I got no idea. (laughs) You know, how do I do this? He said, right. So we went to a Cheesecake Factory Cafe on a marina in Los Angeles, we sat down for a couple of hours and we just talked and he talked me through each of the chapters. And actually what he did was he did a, a timeline of my life and then we picked out key points in my journey and he said, now let's make each of these a chapter and let's put a, a leadership message with each of these. And so that process took two, three hours to do. And he said, I know you're a goal person, which I'd encourage everyone to, to be, is, is to set goals, you know, to, to have goals to achieve. He said, I know that you are goal-oriented. How long will it take you to write this book? I said, one year. And so over the next year, I, I wrote the book and sent drafts to different people, etc. And, and as it would happen, a, a guy just came along and I met him and he said, look, I can publish your book and all kinds of stuff happened. But 
one of the one of the real keys in amongst that was was Mike didn't realize that for me to go to America, we remortgaged my house. And so wow. what, I, what I talk about is to have eagles in our lives, but eagles that we are willing to remortgage our house for, you know, people who we are willing to take those tough financial risks for. And, and so for me, speaking has, has been that sort of journey, really, where opportunities have come. And, and one of my favorite proverbs is opportunities of lifetime must be seized in the lifetime of that opportunity. And so book writing, you know, good on you. That's that's a big step. And and the reason I wrote the book was so many people, <laughs> so many people had come up after I'd spoken and say, have you got a book? Have you got a book? No, no, no. And they'd say, you need to write a book, you know. And I'm thinking, yeah, write me, write a book. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and then, then when that happened with Mike, I thought, well, you know, why not? So, yeah, good on you. Well, that's a big step. Mate, th- thank you, and and you know, congratulations yourself. And uh, I'm, I can't lay uh, all the credit to me for this because it was off the back of a, um, a a chance interview with Liz Brown, the motivational speaker, and he's the one that gave me the blueprint because he said the same thing to me. He said, in order to be taken seriously, you need a book for credibility. And then he asked me about who was the most influential person in my life when I was five, but it was my mum. And he asked me what attributes I got. And we went through them all. And then he just spat back to me over 10 minutes, this, this blueprint for this book. And then he said, Laban, I'll write the foreword for the book. So in a moment of insanity, I said to him, yeah, well, I said, Les, if you're going to write the foreword for my book, I'll have it to you by June 30. So that was mid-May. So I did mine in six weeks. But well, thanks, thanks to COVID. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, that helps you. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I would have been in a job. There's no way I would have had the time or the bandwidth yep. to be able to do it. So, yep. you know, even even 12 months, like never having written anything before, you know, like what a what a wonderful achievement. And that's and that's your legacy, Nahi. Like that's yeah. that's you know, and amongst all the other cool stuff you've been doing as well. So I've been encouraging everyone that I know that they should write a book because I found it very cathartic. And I'm curious to know what are some of the hidden great things that you discovered when you were writing yours? I learned a lot about myself and because I was, I was writing about my, my history, I, I realized not only the tough times I've had, but the people who had, who had helped me through those times, I realized that, Life was a journey and that every day counts, you know. And for me, writing a book was was a reflection. It was like looking in a mirror. And even now, and I'd encourage people who have written books, you know, even now when when I'm struggling with different things, I'll just go back and read my book. And it, it helps me to realise that, wow, you know, this this guy who who has done the stuff can just pick up and and go on and and for me it's it's about giving to others but also giving back to myself in a sense and there there are parts of the book where i just when i was writing it i was actually crying you know i, I wanted the book to be to be authentic i wanted people to 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 really feel who I was and, and experience who Nahi the speaker is, you know. And I've just had incredible, and that's, I guess, the, the biggest thing for me in writing this book. I've just had so many people come back to me through emails and notes and everything else and say, you know, just want to thank you for your honesty and, and your encouragement, you know, because it's easy when you're up on a on a stage to, to look like this person who's done all of this stuff and, and, you know, people think, oh, man, I could never do that. But I think through my book and hopefully how I speak as well, people realise, man, you know, if he can do that, then I can too. You know, I'm just I'm just going to give it a go. So for me, that's that's the key thing is, is it's inspired and, and motivated people and, and it's been just a good mirror for myself as well. That's awesome. Yeah. And what's it called? What's the book called? 
So my book is called Ancient Wisdom, Modern Solutions. Just looking around my office, I haven't even got a man. You'd think if I'd prepared, I'd. Have, <laughs> That's all right. Where can we <laughs> find it? Where can we find it? And if you give us uh, a month or two, <laughs> you'll be able to find it on our our website. So that's the next step for us, is we, during COVID, have turned our office into an office, as you can see with all the stuff around me, into an office where we can do online things. And over the next month, I'm developing, redeveloping my website so that we can have a shopping cart, which people have always asked for as well. So we can have a shopping cart on my website and the book will be on there along with other stuff that we'll have so and awesome. for me laban it's it's about giving people access so that we can help more people you know yeah. so leadership you know what you're doing now here is so important it's not only as a role model for everyone but also as a leader in the maori community as well and you know i grew up in christchurch i grew up as a child of divorce Divorce rates are at 50% uh, in New Zealand and Australia and most of the Western world. Plus, you've got a whole other, um, you know, loveless relationships that we've found out about and there's a whole lot, lot of dysfunction. And what seems to happen is that the children of divorce seem to suffer the most and they're the ones that are more likely to be, you know, subject to abuse or abandonment, whatever it might be, and then they go on and are more likely to be, more dysfunctional adults in whatever capacity, drink, drugs, jail, whatever, right? And so, you know, what you're doing is so, so wonderful. And that's that's the, the role model that I, you know, I look up to people like you, Nahi, and, and I want to do the same thing. And I want to have that strong family unit and that strong bond. And the words that you use and the way that you go about things and the way that you conduct yourself is second to none. I'm, I'm just, I'm so blessed that you're able to come on and share this message with us. It's been it's been really amazing. Yeah, thanks. So uh, yeah, and I guess we all we all have our journeys, you know. And yours is a, I think, a particularly tough one. And there are just so many people out there who who go through things that we just would never know. But hopefully, through our books and through our words, we are able to make that difference. You know. And so for me, that, that leadership role is is really important. And I realized that in, in receiving my my gift of my tāmoko, that it wasn't just enough to have markings on your face. You know, I had to to prove my leadership. And I actively sought opportunities to serve my people and now find myself on, on different boards, actually, so I'm on a um, yeah. So I chair, I chair a, a board which is probably one of the most wealthy Māori trusts in New Zealand. It has I won't name them, but it has over six hundred and fifty million dollars worth of assets. And wow. through COVID, we were able to give our people uh, food and and benefits and all kinds of things, and help them with firewood and all those things that that mean a lot to people. You know. Awesome. And that's on my so that's on my mother's side of my my whakapapa, my genealogy, my family. On my father's side, I chair another board that is forestry interests, and we've been able to help others into scholarships, into universities, and and do lots of really cool things on on that side. Help our Madai with their insurance and caretakers, and I'm also on the fish and game board, so we're helping the local community in that area. And fishing is, is an important part of our, you know, 12 lakes around this area <laughs> district. Yeah, I'll bet. And, and it's, for some Māori, it's it's their food source too, you know, so it's important that we have a say, a say in how that food source is, is managed and operated. And the other one I'm on, which I was elected to just six or eight months ago, is a Lakes District Health Board. So that's the board that looks after all of the health budget on behalf of the Crown here in Rotorua and down in Taupo and Turangi and just, once again, millions of dollars. And the purpose of that board was fundamentally to help people through COVID. And to be on those boards, you know, with the health board, we met every week and we were able to help so many people stay safe 
and organize food for them and, and do lots of just really cool things. So for me, I think the, the leadership thing has become the social enterprise, the giving back to my people and, and being able to help people again, which is which is what I'm all about. You know, for me, my, my purpose in life is to help people grow and and whatever whatever that means. And whether it's through the leadership positions I'm I'm given or whether it's just serving as a caretaker somewhere or whatever it, it means, it's it's just somehow hoping to make a positive difference to people, yeah. Uh, it's awesome. Eh? And have you taken on any mentorship roles for any young Māori or any young New Zealanders at all? Yeah, there are there are opportunities that have come, you know, and, and I say to people with if there's one thing I'd encourage you to do is is to look for mentors and they say, oh, I don't know how to do that. You know, what do I do? And I said, well, all I did was phone them or, or emailed them and said, look, do you mind if I phone you once a month or email you once a month and just ask you a few questions? And I've never been turned down, you know, and, and it's, I think pretty quickly they see why you are doing what you're doing. And I think if, they find your motive is not according to their values, then you don't stay mentored for very long. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, initially there, there's so many people who all they want to do is help. And, yeah, I've been in the same boat. I've been fortunate to help a few people along their journey. So, yeah, yeah, important. And I guess the key thing is is time, you know. Uh, and today with the likes of Zoom, etc. It's just so much easier to develop and facilitate, isn't it? Well, it's been a like I don't know. I've, I've released twenty-one shows in three months, wow. which you know <laughs> would have taken a whole lifetime, you know, oh, twenty man. years ago, and and had conversations. We had Tom Ziegler on the show, Zig Ziegler's son. And yeah, like, you know, Zig Ziglar is someone who's been so influential in my life and just, you know, how you resonate better with some speakers more than others. And, and certainly, and I even joked, nah, I said that if anyone was going to convince me to become a Christian, it'd be Zig Ziglar (laughs) because he's such a, such a great role model, you know, and um, talking to his son and, and just getting insights and just amazing stuff. And the more that you surround yourself with these people, they lift you yeah. up and then, then you can yeah. lift them up and, you know, you end up having yeah. these reciprocal type arrangements and and uh, if you come from a place of real love and abundance, I think um, people, yeah. that, like you say, that identify with that will take you take you under their wing and, and soar away, you know, be that eagle. Yep, yep. And it's part of our journey too, isn't it? It's, it's who is put in our path and what we will do with it, you know? Yeah. And, yeah, I'm the same. They're just so many people with similar faith, you know, uh, Lou Heckler from America, just an amazing guy, uh, Ali Mooney, just incredible people of faith as well who have just opened doors left, right and centre for me, you know. And a question I encourage people to to ask of their mentors or of their eagles is how can I help you? How can I serve you? Yeah. Just to, to make sure it's not a, a one-way traffic thing, you know, and it's just been a real as you said, blessing to be able to help them on their journeys as well, you know. Yeah, yeah you're spot on. Eh? And I think the thing to remember, you know, going into these relationships, whether it be mentorship or whatever, is that you probably do have something of value to the other person. But just because mm-hmm. they are a celebrity or well-established in their field doesn't mean they know everything. And I'm and I'm yeah. offering, you know, I've got some expertise in a few things that have come in really handy, you know. Yeah. And um, it's, you know, you'd be surprised. You'd be surprised. Um, so that, that in itself has been a blessing. I suppose, um, Nahi, I'd love, to, I'd love to know what you, want, what you want to be remembered for once you've left this planet. Hmm. It's a tough question, you know. Um, and, and as a speaker and, and with my wife, I'm always talking about the end game. And the very end game is is what appears on my headstone, and and so for me it's it's come down to uh, a simple sentence which it, it always ends up being, which is is someone who tried to make a positive difference 
for others. And that's it, you know, and in whatever way. Uh, I, and, you know, don't get me wrong, sometimes it's it's been tough. The, the most positive thing I could do to a few people as a leader along the way was fire them, was say, look, you know, we've had these criteria, you, we've tried our best to help you through these, but you continue to not fulfill those criteria for the sake of this organisation and everyone around you and the people you are leading, you no longer fit with our organisation and our values. And, and and so for me, it's 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 not always easy you know it's just because you have something on like that on your headstone doesn't mean you've been nice to everyone it just means you've tried to help them in the most positive way that you could in their lives for where they are at in their journey and you know for people to come back to you years later and say man you know that was the best thing that ever happened to me it woke me up and I realised that I'd been taking stuff for granted and all kinds of things, and and so so for me, it's it's it is a life journey. It is it is the ups and downs. It's the the things in the middle. It's it's the decisions we make every day. It's it's hoping to make a difference every day for someone. You know. Yeah. Ah, oh, it's spot on. It's spot on. And I, I mentioned to you when we first spoke. I think that my job in recruitment was made redundant after spending a year trying to set up my own recruitment business and I was doing it for the wrong reasons and it failed. And then I took a job because I needed the money and then COVID-19 hit and I lost my job. And I was like, this is for a reason. This is for a reason. And, you know, the last three months have been a real blessing. (laughs) So I'm I'm like, COVID-19, thank you very much, you know. Yeah, yeah. very much, (laughs) despite all all the bad stuff. Yeah. Nahi, what's what's next for you in the horizon? What's happening in your world, 2021, 2022? Yeah, so, you know, you you get to COVID and for me it was a time to really sit back and relax and think what is next for Nahi. And within a week, all of my speaking engagements were postponed I just had such a good year lined up as well, you know, and we were going to be traveling, all kinds of stuff. And fortunately, I'd I'd just been to Canada. I came back two weeks before the lockdown. But even being over in Canada and seeing what was happening so seriously with COVID over there and coming back to New Zealand where, well, you'd understand, where it was, I know, she'll be right, da-da-da-da. But then coming back to these trusts that I was leading and saying, look, guys, I know this is going to sound stupid, but we need to take this very seriously. It's about to hit us big time. And I said, we need to cancel all of our gatherings that we've got coming up. And we had lots. We we had seven, 800 people coming to an AGM in three weeks' time. We had camps that we'd organised with our youth through the year, uh, two or 300 youth at each camp. We had conferences that we'd organised all kinds of stuff. And I called together the CEO and the senior manager. I met with them first and said, look, guys, we need to stop everything. And they sort of looked at me sideways and they said, well, you know, and I had to lay it out and say, this is why, this is what I've seen. And three weeks later, we were in lockdown. But that three weeks gave our guys time to get organised so that when it came the time to send these grants out to our people to send out food parcels. All we had to do was push the button. And so for me, it meant the opposite. You know, I realised <laughs> I'm toast. You know, my my speaking is gone. And and I, I fortunately, which was a, actually a business decision, strategic decision that we made a few years ago, of developing that side of my business because I was traveling, if I can just quickly share with you, Laban. Yeah, please. I'd I'd done these world trips, you know, and I'd done them with my family. But then my family got too old to pull out of school. You know, my kids were too old to take on seven-week trips and 
everything around the world. And so we, I found myself traveling on my own. I said to my wife, I came home and I said, I don't like this, you know, let's sit down as the directors of our company and, and look at other things that I can do because this is not working for me. I, I just, sure, I, I enjoy speaking. I enjoy giving to people, but I need you guys with me to to experience and to fill my tank so that I can keep giving, you know. And so that's when we developed all these other businesses. And one of the key businesses we developed, we looked at my education and leadership experiences and said, look, you, you should become a, a professional director on companies and, and on boards. And so that's why I did that certificate in company directorship and other things. And so for us, that has helped us through COVID. And in the middle of COVID, my wife said, you know, yep, speaking isn't happening. So why don't you just take a year off? Why don't you just say, right, your next engagement, which is scheduled for March next year in Australia, we'll see, we'll see how that goes. But your next engagement is, is over in Aussie. Why don't you just take a year off and think about what you want to do and and enjoy this time, you know, write other books, do whatever you want to do, you know. And so for me, I sat down and over those weeks, did a lot of painting of the house and <laughs> all the thinking things, you know. And so what's next for Nahi is I've started a, a doctorate, started doing a PhD. Wow, and in what? I'm doing a PhD in, in governance and leadership, leadership, governance, and specifically around Māori leadership. And so for the last three weeks, I've been talking with my person who will become my supervisor in that doctorate. And it'll be a three, four, maybe five-year journey. But I realized during COVID that I just need something for for my mind, you know, and, and just to keep active. And, and it came from one of my old mentors who, when he was 60, and I had my first degree. He was an old co-mata, Uncle Bill Wittemu, Wittemu and He said to me, Nahi, you need to do a master's. I said, why, Uncle Bill? You know, why do I, why should I do a master's? And he goes, I'm nearly 60 and I'm doing a master's now. <laughs> I'm just starting a master's. And I thought, man, you know, that must be really important. <laughs> so I, that's, that's why I started my master's back then. And so I thought during COVID, I thought, well, I thought of that old Karoa, you know, that, that old gentleman. And I thought, well, he was nearly 60 when he started his master's. I'll be 58, 59 this year, nearly 60. I can start a doctorate. And uh, so for me, it's about also being a role model, you know, and, and trying to be a role model to my kids, to others who want to aspire to be academic, whatever it takes. And I just really enjoy reading and writing and and so yeah we'll pick up the speaking we I guess the word is pivoted so we turned my office into a, a bit of a studio which I, I'd love to talk to you about because that's a part of what we want to develop further is, is the online I'm not I've never I've not rushed into it but I thought you know let's build the field and get ready and and people will be sent to help me and Laban I'm pretty sure you're one of those. Oh, mate, happy, happy to be of service. No, we really appreciate that. And, you know, we want to do things like what you're doing as well and just have snippets where we can help people in leadership and all that sort of thing too, you know. So, yeah. So that's what's next for Nahi and it's trying to be the best board member I can on these boards. I'm doing professional development in those boards as well. And, yeah, always looking for opportunities to learn and stay above the line. Yeah. Well, I think we might wrap it up there, Nahi. This yep. has been really, really amazing. And uh, I only came about you relatively recently because you were recommended as one of the must-see New Zealand speakers. And I know that you've won some awards. You won Speaker of the Year in New Zealand at least on one occasion. Humble. Mm. And I can see why. Ladies and gentlemen, Nahihi Otera Bidwa. It's Laban Ditchburn, and I really hope you're enjoying the podcast. The reason for this message was this. If you have your own podcast or your own YouTube channel, or you're seriously thinking about starting something up in order to get your message out into the world, 
I want to make something available to you. Go to podcastingheroes.com for your free five-day video training. Well, I will share with you five key tips and tricks that will allow you to reach out and connect with the best podcast guests available. And not only just bring them on, but to develop relationships with them that build into know, like, and trust that will eventuate in you being invited onto their platforms if you so desire. You'll be able to learn how to monetize even if you don't have a big audience. Go to podcastingheroes.com. It's P-O-D-C-A-S-T-I-N-G-H-E-R-O-E-S.com.